1: Hi there and welcome to Stock Club, a podcast brought to you by My Wall Street. I'm Mike and joining today's episode is Anne-Marie from the My Wall Street Analyst team. Today we say bye-bye to Bed Bath & Beyond as the beleaguered retail empire finally falls to bankruptcy, but not before it took plenty of retail investors cash with them. We also break down some big tech earnings and decide whether Google's valuation is looking attractive, as well as asking the important questions like does Taylor Swift have a CFA? <laughs> Anne-Marie, how are you? Just myself and yourself today. Emmett's gone fishing, I think.
0: Is that the official the official news? Emmett has gone fishing.
1: Yeah, that's what he put in his uh, out of office email. All
0: right. Well, <laughs> he could have been good and brought us with him. Um, <laughs> I'm good. I actually keep seeing a reference to a show online that I would like to briefly discuss. I've not seen the show. I just keep it's it's an American show. It's on Freevee, which I believe is owned by Amazon. Couldn't tell you what it's on in Ireland or the UK. Um, and it's called Jury Duty. And a, the premise of the show is it's a, a full complete jury they have a full court case except everyone is an actor with the exception of I've, one man who thinks he's there for regular jury
1: duty. I've, I've actually watched the first two episodes have you, is recommend. it good yeah it is uh there's a there you'd actually recognize some of the actors they're like bit part people from like parks and rec and stuff and then there's one guy oh, it's james marsden he's like proper james famous. marsden yeah, yeah yeah probably but he plays that It's good and then the guy they got I'd say that I don't know if they got really lucky or they did it a bunch of times but he's like the most like innocent sounds harsh but genuine like kind of nice guy and he's just like rolling with all these punches and stuff it's funny it's very weird Truman show come to life thing but yeah if you can find that I recommend.
0: That's what I heard. I, I want to watch it because I heard an interview with the creator and she was like, it's completely real. She was like, we turned on all the cameras and had a full, like, she was like, all the actors that we were all there for eight, nine hours, just let the cameras roll. And she was like, we just cut it down. And I was like, that's an insane premise to get greenlit. But um, yeah, I want to go watch it.
1: Yeah, I would recommend. Uh, <clears throat> but like, yeah, it could have been an absolute disaster as well. Like your oh, mind yeah. could have just flipped the lid because it's in a pretty hairy situation. Yeah. um but yeah let segue into another disaster and that's uh <laughs> ped bath and beyond are finally uh well not kicking the bucket 100 but they've finally filed chapter 11 bankruptcy which is about five months slash five years in the making yeah um so yeah you got a chance to kind of dig into this one so mm. what's let's go through the timeline first like why now and Why is it taking so long, I guess? Because this is in the offing for a long time, wouldn't it?
0: Yeah, definitely. Just to kind of go back, I suppose, to a year is when we'll start to unpack, which, like, that doesn't even cover, like, the meme stop thing, which is definitely when. Bed Bath & Beyond probably came to the vast majority of, like, international investors' attention. It very much got hyped up along with AMC and GameStop. And all of these businesses have that kind of similar attribute of being in, I suppose, terminal decline. You know, we, we all kind of have this inclination of this business probably isn't going to be around in the next 10 to 20 years. It's just something about it. It's just going out of style. And interestingly, this point was referenced by Warren Eisenberg, who actually founded Bed Bath & Beyond in 1971. He gave a pretty interesting interview to the Wall Street Journal a couple months ago, um, in which i learned that bed bath and beyond used to just be called bed and bath no beyond (laughs) hadn't gotten there yet (laughs) um he basically said in the interview, we missed the boat on the internet. Like that is what he indicated was, was going to be the death of the company. And that was several months ago. And he was probably right overall. Um, Wait, he,
1: he only realized that several months ago? or
0: I, I'd say he noticed it a couple of years ago because he hasn't been involved <laughs> in the business. So he probably just stepped away. Um, but the question is kind of why now? And if to, to answer that, we go back to about June of 2022. And that's when, when Bed Bath Beyond was coming to the end of an experimental period led by, at the time, CEO Mark Triton. And he seems to have wanted to give Bed Bath & Beyond a more premium brand. So he scaled back coupons, which Bed Bath & Beyond is so famous for in the United States. Every month you get a 20% off coupon in the mail. And that is like currency to suburban mothers. They love that stuff. But Bed Bath & Beyond scaled back in the coupons, which was probably strike one. Um, And then they started kicking out traditional brands because they wanted more private labels. They wanted to just a bit more of an esteem idea. And I think this was probably – An effort to justify Bed Bath & Beyond's massive store footprint. At its peak, it had something like 1,200 locations in the United States. That's pretty substantial. As we all know, we're in an e-commerce movement at the minute, but there are some stores that can make that in-person experience special. I think they were trying to do that. They were like trying to say, hey, we need to give you a reason to come into the store. So I think that's where they were going, Um, but it wasn't working. in the the financial results. So their sales were falling year over year. Net losses were up substantially. I think in like Q1 of 2022, they had something like $350 million of a net loss. That's horrible. Sales are down like 25%. And the company most significantly was falling behind on vendor payments. So a lot of locations couldn't stock their shelves to a sufficient capacity. Um, And that meant that Triton was ousted in Q1 and he was replaced by Sue Gov, And under Gov in August of 2022, Bed Bath & Beyond secured $500 million in funding to replenish its cash reserves, which it was hoping to use to replenish stores and get them back to a normal function. Um, At around the same time, they announced they would close 150 stores. I believe that was the last time we talked about them on the podcast, and then they intended to lay off 20% of staff. So that all kind of seemed reasonable, you know cost cutting. We were seeing that kind of with everyone. So I think some investors were satisfied with that they're like, all right, here we go. We're trying to ride the ship here. Um, but then less than two weeks later, there was that kind of really tragic news of their CFO, Gustavo Arnell, that he had died by suicide. And I think that shook the C-suite and people were kind of like, we don't really know what's going on in the inside of the company. And um, that was followed up really quickly the following quarter by um, an earnings report that really demonstrated the company was still struggling with a liquidity issue. Even though they had gotten this cash infusion, they had way more liabilities than they had assets. And it was just making people more and more nervous. Um, At the same time, there were all these reports coming out that CEO Sue Gov was desperately, desperately, desperately trying to get predecessor brands um, back into the store that her uh, previous CEO had just kicked out of the store. And that's a pretty hard bargain, you know, to go back to a brand that you kicked out six months ago and go, please, we give us stock to put in the stores? Particularly when you've been failing to pay your bills for more than nine months. You know, I I don't really think that's a good idea. Um, And that meant that going into Q4, which should be everybody's like most profitable, most revenue generating period, you know, the holiday season, it was reported that 40% of the company's merchandise was out of stock. Just 40% of the shelves were bare because they could not get the stuff on on, on, on store shelves or they didn't have the money to pay the vendors. And so when those earnings came in, it missed expectations across the board and – there was basically an announcement in January saying, yeah, Bed Bath & Beyond is going to look to file for bankruptcy. A week later, it received a default notice of $550 million from JP Morgan, and JP Morgan was like, "We want this money immediately." And Bed Bath & Beyond had to turn around and say, "Hey, we don't have any cash. We cannot pay this." Um and
1: Yeah, that I have uh, I have issues with how they got some cash, but uh we'll yeah. get into it.
0: Didn't have it, like didn't have the money to pay JP Morgan, so we we're like, right, bankruptcy is is, is definitely coming here. Um it attempted to get funding through a round with Hudson Bay. They ended up backing out of that. So nothing went forward. So that was kind of the the last attempt to to, to right the ship. And um, they've had clear, de- declared bankruptcy a couple of days ago. And um, as of currently, they had to secure $240 million in a loan to help fund its operations as it figures out its bankruptcy. Um, as things wind down, it currently is looking like for the next month or so, its stores and its website are going to remain open as it attempts to liquidate the entirety of its merchandise. Um and in his bankruptcy filing, Bed Bath & Beyond said that it has $5.2 billion in debt and assets of just $4.4 billion. So not great.
1: Mm, not great. But uh, so what happens next? Uh, bankruptcy sounds like the kind of finish line, but it's usually not in some form. Someone will come in. Is anyone eyeing up like their assets? Maybe not the whole thing, but...
0: Yeah, it's interesting you say that because um, when I was doing research, I saw a number of analysts question... The fact that Bed Bath & Beyond didn't opt to sell Bye Bye Baby when it was scrambling for cash all of last year. Um, it owns this subsidiary business, which there's one near where I grew up in Colorado. I've never been inside it, but it's essentially like Bed Bath & Beyond, but all it is is baby stuff. Um, I don't know how successful it is, but people are like, if you have this secondary brand, why would you not try and sell it? I would say it was probably something they looked into and no one was interested, Um so as of right now, I mean, we're, we're only the first couple of days into this bankruptcy process, but currently it's looking like there is no one to buy it. like no one has shown a public interest that we know of. But officials from within the company have said that it will seek a buyer if someone is interested. And if it can find one, it it, it hopes that it that will allow it to halt store closings and halt layoffs. Um, but as of right now, it's looking like they will liquidate the entirety of, of the business Um there's always a supposed possibility that like the brand could emerge from the bankruptcy and maybe be like an online only retailer or try and rely upon the fact that Bed Bath & Beyond is a pretty known brand in the United States. And maybe someone will want to to use that to pivot into something else, something more successful. You know, if you can offload the debt and maybe make a more streamlined business, you could get away with that. But um, as of right now, I would say it'll go away. Like I think it'll go blockbuster style and it'll just vanish
1: yeah, I wanna I wanna go on a bit of a rant here. i mentioned it. No, it's just I think it needs to be kind of pointed out. And uh, if you ever read Matt Levine, he writes a newsletter for Bloomberg. He's great at all this stuff. But um, the the whole situation is pretty murky. We'll, we'll say that uh, nothing illegal per se, but murky is kind of a complimentary way of looking at it uh just with like bed bath beyonds management and its board they didn't swindle retail investors out of any money like it wasn't a hustle there was no con here but they certainly managed to inflict a lot more pain than say was necessary Mm -hmm. and like i know there's a lot here i preface this by saying look retail investors were told that they probably shouldn't buy this stock and caveat emptor and all that. But just even the fact that they're allowed kind of, I don't know, it doesn't sit completely well from, with me. Um, so this is from Matt Levine's uh, newsletter. It said, on January 20th, Bed Bath & Beyond had about 117 million shares. Outstanding. The stock closed at 335, Uh that day. On March 27th, it had 428 million shares outstanding and the clock the stock closed at about 80 cents per share. On April 10th, it had 560 million shares outstanding and the stock closed at 30 cents a share. And then April 23rd, when it filed for bankruptcy, it had 739 million shares outstanding and the stock closed at 29 cents a share. So what kind of makes this, in my eyes, sinister is that Bed Bath & Beyond knew it was going out of business back... In December, 2020, you could even say June, 2020, when you were going through the timelines there and it started like getting behind on it's paying its creditors and, and it genuinely was like, oh, we might go out of business in January, you know, it was looking for a business it defaulted on credit payments and it was basically saying chapter 11 is a likelihood. If not, Mm -hmm. basically a finality, uh, instead of shutting up shop though, they spent the next four months selling 600 million shares to predominantly retail investors. And look I said this before let's not cry for the poorness and in re- retail investors they didn't have a rug pulled from under them they were told directly we're using this to pay down our debtors if we don't raise enough money we will likely go bankrupt and if this happens you the stockholders will get nothing that was the sequence of events yeah. and that's exactly what happened they didn't raise enough money they they what they did raise they gave directly to their creditors so like if you think about this in transaction purpose you go and take hundreds of million dollars directly from the hands of retail investors and you are the middleman and you give it directly to the people you owe money to. It wasn't like being put towards reinvesting the business and going for a turnaround or whatever else. It was like going directly into their hands. Yeah. And the stockholders are left with money. Like this is the left with nothing. And, and, and there's an edge to this as well. This is coming from like the meme stock and it's clearly speculation. It's not like, it's not like they were buying in with the long-term prospects and the fundamentals of Bed Baths and Beyond in mind. They were like it was greater food theory. They thought there's going to be a lot of short-term volatility and they could profit from that. But the fact that this is a legal kind of way of doing this, I don't. It, it doesn't seem like a company yeah. that is going bankrupt can just say, "Oh well, we can make our." landing a bit softer by going and taking millions out of the credit markets just because it was a meme stock a couple of years ago, you know?
0: Yeah. Well, why do you think there was an appetite from investors in the first place? Like, as you just kind of said, there there was writing on the wall. There's kind of a universal sense of Bed Bath & is going to go bankrupt. So like, where was this investor interest coming from? Do you think it is just a hangover from the the meme stock craze?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Like, so 600 million new issued shares since January when they basically said they're going out of bankruptcy, It's just gambling. And um, they're about to trade and speculate And greater food theory. You don't have to, you know, you just have to find someone who wants to buy it at a bigger price than you. The valuation of it doesn't matter. And I think that's what the vast majority of investors who bought these shares had in mind when buying them. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And we've seen huge swings in bed, bath and beyond stock price since the start of the year on huge volume as well. So in that sense, these buyers probably got what they came for in a way. Um, but yeah, like th- th- this trend of bankrupt or on the edge of bankrupt stocks becoming Flavor of the Month is a worrying one. Like, do you remember, was it 2021 when Hertz yeah. had filed for bankruptcy and tried to raise money in the public markets after it had filed for bankruptcy? Yeah. <laughs> and, and like, they got stopped. But like, the fact that they tried and the fact that there was an appetite for that I remember there was a crazy week when the stock would jump hundred percent in a day and then the next day fall another hundred percent. And and that that that's just it's just casino casino antics, I suppose, from the investors. But my concern is that for a certain cohort of investors, that's been their introduction to the stock yeah. market and to the public markets. It's it's not just a flash in the pan, we'll say, because this has been around since the start of 2021 was kind of when GameStop Game Stock all kicked off. Mm-hmm. GameStop. Um so, yeah, I, I, I don't know. It it doesn't really sit well that this is allowed. And I'd say there'll probably be lawsuits and all the rest. But if you're Bed Bath & Beyond, you're like, yeah, well, we told them we were going bankrupt and they bought it anyways. So uh, it, it's muddled, but it, it doesn't really sit well with me. So, yeah, that's kind of my rant on things.
0: Yeah, there's a new financial TV show that's on Netflix. I can't remember the name of it. And and I saw a clip of it uh, the other day on Twitter and it was a guy and he was just interviewing this regular couple and they had kind of gotten in on the the meme stock craze and they had initially made a bunch of money and live in the interview the husband revealed that something like eighty percent of their money was locked up in stock. It was um what's the sports gambling stock that went public in twenty twenty? DraftKings yeah, DraftKings. He had he had put all of their money, like they would made a good bit of money, and he put it all into DraftKings stock, which obviously has had this massive correction. It's down like sixty or seventy percent, and it's all locked into this stock, and they just had access to no capital. Like, the, I can't, I can't move it. it. Needs to come back up.
1: The wife was there, finding this out for the first time.
0: Yeah, live on TV, and she was like, "Oh, I didn't know that. I, I didn't know that it was all in the one stock." I was like, "Oh, there's going to be more stories like that coming out coming out this year."
1: Yeah, and it's just like, look, I, 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 I feel like a slightly old man shouting a cloud, but <laughs> this is a way to put off young investors. Do you know oh, what yeah. I mean?
0: Definitely. Um, yeah. get, get them back into the, the less interesting, less exciting world of large cap stocks. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot.
1: Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today.
0: Um, Mm. From there, that's a good jumping off point, though, because we are in the midst of Big Tech Earnings Week. So we each uh, decided to take an earnings and and have a look at it. Mike, I believe that you dug into Google this week. How was it looking?
1: I did. It was very solid. Um, It's actually, would you believe this is the first time in the past four quarters it didn't miss consensus and estimates?
0: Yeah that
1: Yeah. Um so yeah, I'll just do a quick run through of the big ticket items. We don't have to do too in-depth analysis here. Um so yeah, it beat on expectations for both earnings and revenue for the first time in a year. Uh ad revenue was expectedly down year on year. So we're still feeling the pinch here amongst advertisers. They're being pretty tight with their pennies. Um, so yeah, I don't know. We're far from out of the woods on this one, I feel. Uh we'll see YouTube uh, YouTube revenue was down year over year for three consecutive quarters as well. Um, I think the big ticket item to come out of this was probably the 70 billion share repurchase program. That's about 5% of outstanding shares of Google right now, which is no joke. I know they're still spending a lot on stock-based compensation, but that's pretty hefty numbers. It'd be interesting to see to go down the kind of Apple route over the next day decade because I think it had $114 billion in its cash pile. Um, so what probably doesn't get enough credit is Apple's kind of financial, I suppose, financial brilliance in terms of rewarding shareholders. So mm-hmm. the, One of the huge things behind delivering value in the last decade for Apple was buying back so much of its shares. Um, If you do that, all you need to do is stand still and you're still going to provide good returns to shareholders. So it would be interesting for Google to do this, especially when it's advertising growth is kind of slowing up. Uh, mm-hmm. So that's a very interesting one. Apart from that, Google Cloud was profitable for the first time ever. Um, these numbers are kind of funny. Operating income of 191 million on revenue on seven and a half billion. Um, Ooh, so... Wow. <laughs> Well, it's it's kind of, it's a work in progress. The margin Uh, there is,
0: uh, that could be improved.
1: (laughs) Yeah, Uh, but yeah, look, the numbers are ridiculous, but this has been a huge long-term investment from the company, and while it's, it might always be behind AWS and Microsoft Azure, I don't know, you'll probably get into Azure after this, but it's at least beginning to justify the billions of dollars that have been pumped into this over the years, and yeah, I, I think... Moving forward now, as you said, plenty of room to improve there on margins, which is a good sign. Um, with regards to layoffs and cost-cutting, it sounds silly to be talking about cost-cutting when they just authorized $70 billion in buybacks, but that's how this market has gone. Um, we won't see them until the next quarter. It's cutting back on real estate, employee services, equipment, and I think there was 12,000 layoffs announced as well. So we won't really see the savings from that until Q2. Uh, We mentioned, did we mention briefly last week about the Samsung news? Or was that in our planning Yeah,
0: we did, where they were discussing uh, whether they might allow Bing to be the default browser.
1: Yeah, so that's a $3 billion contract uh, for Google to be the default browser on Samsung phones. And yeah, they kind of just said we might go with Bing, which... (laughs) (laughs) I don't know, it's it's kind of worrying, like, especially for the company that's had basically 95% market share in browsers for the last 10, 15 years. Um, Sundar Pichai talked on this. He said he's comfortable that Google will continue to improve search and be competitive in the big deals. I would, what are your thoughts on this? I'm not exactly, if I was a Google share, I'd much prefer to hear something more ballsy and bullish there. Do you know
0: yeah i I would have liked to maybe have heard I mean I know we keep getting news updates where they say, oh we're we're working on integrating AI into Google search, but the examples that we have seen publicly so far have not been the most impressive and so I would yeah, I would want to hear something more aggressive or they say, here's the plan of attack for the next two to three years to keep to keep Google in the forefront of people's minds when it comes to search because they already are the default like almost instinctively they, when I open a web browser, I type Google in, you know what I mean so it's like yeah
1: and i think that that takes an awful lot of overcoming like small yeah. stuff do you remember we talked about just passwords yeah google has like my password for everything i'm not mm-hmm. going over to bing anytime soon cuz they no you know if if i want a specific chatbot thing i will go to mm. chatgpt i i i i just, <laughs> i would love to have seen him be a bit more like sure like we've been doing this so what is bing you know good luck to them with their yeah. little cute chat body thing, Do you know, like they, they they just it sounded like they were just like, Yeah, we're in a fight now. And it's like I'd like to see more confidence. Um yeah. and then, yeah, speaking of being in chatbots and AI, uh, there so you sent me this and I just slacked it to myself about ten minutes before you did, but there's a stat from the transcript. Is that the right the yeah, Twitter account? I think so. So it tracked the number of mentions of AI on the call. Mm-hmm. Um so in q1 of last year it mentioned ai five times in q4 of 2022 so the last quarter it mentioned ai 32 times in q1 of 2023 which was last night uh, from recording it mentioned the word ai 55 times so you can see where the focus is going um yeah all in all just a very solid quarter i don't think uh anyone's investment thesis is going to change on Google anytime soon, especially after this quarter. But it was, it was impressive. Um, I think, I don't know. I, I, I well, Let's discuss after you get into the Microsoft quarter because mm. I think there's an interesting conversation there.
0: Yeah, Microsoft Actually had a great quarter as well. I was quite impressed with it. So earnings per share came in at two dollars and forty five cents, which was a pretty strong beat of an expected estimate of two dollars and twenty three cents. Uh, that was up nine percent year over year, and revenue came in at fifty two point eight six billion versus fifty one point oh two expected. So a nice beat there as well. Um, the real kind of headline maker, the thing that people tend to keep an eye on because it does have such strong margins and it's fast growing, is Azure, as, as you mentioned, which is the the, the cloud service. Um, and it grew 27% year over year, which is compared to 31% in the prior quarter. So things are slowing down. Um, but this growth rate of 27% beat expectations. And if we were going back to like the early pandemic days, there was growing at like 40, 41% year over year. It was quite substantial. But I would have expected this type of slowdown. I mean, plus 25% growth is it, still pretty decent considering we are
1: 30 billion dollar revenue runway or whatever it is yeah
0: particularly when you know we're operating in a macroeconomic environment which is not the most friendly to businesses we know that plenty of people are cutting back on spending at the minute so it's it's certainly more difficult to to get a new customer in the door but to see this growth rate continue i was quite impressed by and there was a, a number of positive comments from the ceo on that um Looking further down into kind of the smaller sections of um, revenue, we di- we saw, saw strong growth in the like public facing portion of the cloud that was doing well. The only kind of negative note, which again is something that we would have expected because of the macroeconomic climate, was they reported a nine percent decline in the personal computing segment, um, which is to be expected. People aren't really you know picking up new uh, Windows devices, and then also the Windows OEM, which is the revenue that Microsoft generates from licensing Windows out to other PC makers, that actually dropped twenty eight percent. But because these two segments represent such a small portion of revenue, it didn't have this like massive effect on the bottom line that we would have expected, um, maybe if it was in a, you know, maybe if it made up a larger proportion of the business. So everything was kind of fine there. Um, Moving to kind of comments from the CEO, uh, he said, we feel we have a good lead and we have a differentiated offering up and down the stack. And he was uh, particularly referring here to the integration of AI that they're hoping to achieve within the entirety of their product suite. So as you talked about previously, they're implementing AI into Bing in the hopes that it, you know, can claw back more than, what, 1.5, 1.8% of the search market, which is pretty small. Um, But also I've seen kind of more interesting stuff is the integration into Microsoft Office Suite, which, you know, may see some type of predictive um, language capability be placed into Microsoft Word to help you maybe type fast or or become a better writer. I've seen kind of early samples of that have appeared in uh, Notion, which is like a note-taking service organizational kind of writing tool that I use. Sometimes they have implemented an AI successfully into um, their service, and I've used it a couple of times. It's kind of funny. It always wants to write you a short story, and it will write you a (laughs) Quite hilarious short story, yeah. Um, So I mean, I'll be interested definitely to see what that can do for the office suite.
1: I'd like to see that in Excel.
0: Yeah, definitely. You know,
1: like I'm not good at Excel. I'm just like DCF me Google for the next ten years, please.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I think also with Excel, like there's such a like stupid small things can be so improved by just a little bit of AI in Excel. Like the other day, I was um creating a graph and i was doing it like quarter by quarter so i needed it to go from like q1 of 2018 all the way forward to q1 of 2023 and excel can autofill traditional dates so i thought maybe if i do like q1 to q4 of 2018 and then q1 of 2019 i type that in manually maybe it'll pick it up and it'll generate it for me no 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 no, it just, it just, it couldn't do it. It just went Q1, 2019 to Q1, 2020. Like it just, it couldn't, it, it got confused. So I'm hoping like a minor integration of AI would solve that problem for me, mm-hmm. Um also, this is not exactly earnings related, but kind of a breaking news from when we we're recording this that is worth mentioning um, in reference to Microsoft because always the long-term investment thesis with Microsoft, very similar to traditional software players like Adobe is is always like, oh, they have a lot of cash. They're a big business. They like to expand via acquisition. They're good at picking up other other companies. Um Microsoft has been trying to buy Activision Blizzard now for, what, over a year, a year and a half? And there was a a breaking news story came out that Britain's top uh, competition regulator has said that it will block um, its acquisition of Activision Blizzard. On the news, Activision stock is down about 10%, um, but Microsoft has already stated that it will appeal this decision. So that will be something that will be interesting to watch probably within the coming months to a year. That being said, like, I wouldn't – that's just a portion of the business. You know, that's a way for for Microsoft to build out – the xbox and probably build out the amount it can generate from software and stuff like that within within there but it's as of right now i would not consider that paramount to the success and the growth of of the business moving forward
1: no the brits huh
0: yeah add (laughs) add it again just trying to stop monopolies which is very a very interesting take that's interesting
1: because they i I felt like the it was the eu was kind Mm -hmm. of all set to let it go through so it's interesting that britain are disagreeing with it.
0: britain seems to be getting um a bit better about the big tech r- recently because britain was also the one that blocked meta's attempted acquisition of giphy the gif keyboard mm. they also blocked that and, and Meta- did they blocked
1: the arm uh acquisition too
0: yeah. And Meta went through two years of, of trying to get push that deal through, and they kept being like, it's fine. It's so small. It's only a $100 million deal. It's nothing. It's nothing. It's nothing. And Britain continually came back and said, no, you cannot have this. So much so that basically the deal had already gone through. They'd practically paid for it. And now Meta, like last month, was told they need to sell Giphy. So now they're looking for a buyer for a GIF keyboard. Um, So it is very interesting. Something I do want to discuss, though, when you brought up that tweet that calculated out the number of times that um, AI was mentioned in Google's call. The the guy did the exact same thing for Microsoft's. So in uh, Q3 of 2022, Microsoft mentioned AI eight times on the call. In Q2 of 2022, they mentioned it 22 times. And in Q3, 2023, which is the quarter we just finished, they mentioned it 47 times. So definitely an acceleration in the mentions of AI. But what I would really love to see is we're waiting now. Meta's earnings haven't come out yet. But I want to see a breakdown of how many times – AI will be mentioned on Meta's call in comparison to how many times the Metaverse was discussed in recent quarters because I saw a Wall Street Journal article last week that talked about the only thing Mark Zuckerberg wants to talk about now is AI. He's moved on from the Metaverse. Metaverse is over now. Moved on
1: from the 40 billion quid a year.
0: Yeah, because they think they can use AI to accelerate the ad business again. So I'm very excited to see what happens there because the Metaverse thing for me with Meta, I've always just been like... What's going on there? That was such a incorrect pivot.
1: Yeah, well, they'll be out by the time this podcast comes out. So great if you're listening to this, I hope you're taking notes.
0: I'll tweet. I'll tweet it.
1: <laughs> or calling us out on our yep. BS. Um, you got anything else from Microsoft?
0: No, that was kind of it, really. I thought it was quite a positive quarter. I felt good about it. Um,
1: yeah, nice bump.
0: Sh- yeah, strong amount of earnings. I think what p- uh, pre-market stock was up about eight percent. So I think the market liked it too. So.
1: Yeah. What are your thoughts now? I just checked it up there while you were talking. Microsoft at 31 times price to earnings with Google down at 23 times price to earnings. Do you think there's that much of a gap?
0: Probably not. I mean, it's, again, it's this thing of like AI is on everybody's mind. Microsoft did a smart thing by coming first out the gate by talking about it like responsibly and being able to integrate it so easily. So, I mean, yeah, that's got the market excited, but I mean, again, like just, I don't think there's going to be a mass migration of the search market within the next year. I really don't think that that's going to happen. Um, I would like to see maybe some case studies of people who've been able to like really effectively use Bing in comparison to Google, because I have tried out Bing. As is Emmett, he was discussing it last podcast, <laughs> and he was like, I couldn't I get don't it to trust,
1: work. I don't trust Emmett's uh, inability to get it to work now. In fact, no.
0: I just need but like I, I want to see like a I want to see like people publicly discussing, hey, like I was able to do this on Bing that I wasn't able to do on Google, but I need that to happen really commonly because sometimes like with us within the investing world, we are in somewhat of an echo chamber where people are looking for innovation because they're trying to invest for the next 10 to 20 years in something and they're like, Well, AI is obviously it, so we're putting money into this now. But I don't think like I don't think that prompts Microsoft to have such a premium valuation in comparison to Google, particularly when Google is a diversified business. Like, as you were just discussing there, they had really strong growth in their cloud segment. Like, I don't think they're going to lose that overnight. So, yeah, it, it's – it's um, Google is definitely an interesting company at the minute, but I think the next couple quarters are going to really tell us how they will respond to a difficulty like this. So, yeah.
1: Yeah, I'm kind of with you there. I I just feel like that's slightly mispriced, but yeah. um, but we'll see. Uh, we're cut in now, and I am going to pitch our weekly newsletter. Uh, if you haven't already signed up to Charging and Fearless, you should. It's a free email in which you receive a brand new stock pitch every week. We promise it'll be the most valuable thirty seconds you spend in your inbox. This week's email is carrying the subject line: at Dutch Energy Disruptor say that five times fast, Uh, growing at 76% a year. That's actually a really interesting business. I found that I think that linked that to us. Um, Mm -hmm. So yeah, definitely worth checking out if you haven't already and you can sign up in the show notes. Now, We've been through all the nonsense. We're getting to the really serious end of this podcast. I have the banner under us (laughs) saying, does Taylor Swift have a CFA? (laughs) Um, So you brought up a great story involving Taylor Swift and FTX. And I'm just going to pitch it to you this way. Is it true that Taylor Swift does more due diligence on her investments than Forbes, the Wall Street Journal, and every VC in San Francisco?
0: Yes, but... There's several caveats to this in that. <laughs>
1: yeah, no, the way- all we need is a one word answer. <laughs> Perfect.
0: Then. Yeah. Um. The caveat being like the way a lot of publications wrote about this story is they were like Taylor Swift down in the trenches, reading the financial documentation, <laughs> our learned queen. Um, She's
1: deep into the 10
0: Yeah, she was. She was in the highlighters. She was going through the whole thing, whereas in actuality, like I think. Like Taylor Swift is almost like a business entity. She undoubtedly – because she generates so much money. She undoubtedly has like lots of business experts who come in and help her and talk to her. On top of that, her dad is like a massive, massive investment banker and is quite successful at it. And so I would say he was probably also involved in this. Like he knows what to look for. But to just kind of recap the story. Which is really brilliantly told in the Financial Times article, which is definitely worth reading. Apparently, what ended up happening was in 2021, Taylor Swift was approached by FTX, and she was offered a hundred million dollars if she would agree to allow them to sponsor her upcoming tour. With the idea being that the tickets that would be sold for the tour would also come as non-fungible tokens NFTs that would be hosted on FTX, and. This is astounding that she said no. First of all, $100 billion is so much money. Like even for Taylor Swift, that's a huge amount of money. And FTX successfully struck deals with a lot of big name personalities. We're talking about Tom Brady, his wife supermodel Giselle Bundchen, uh tennis star Naomi Osaka, basketball star Shaquille O'Neal, and then Steph Curry all had these massive $10 million deals. Um and everyone was going but like the sports stars kind of make sense because maybe the people most likely to buy crypto would also be interested in things like sports, sports gambling, that type of thing. And they make sense to be marketed to. But people are kind of like, why would you target Taylor Swift? That kind of seems like a mismatch. However, according to the Financial Times, Sam Bankman-Fried is a huge Taylor Swift fan. No and that came from an employee <laughs> in FTX said that. He was like, no, he's, he's a huge Taylor Swift fan. And he personally was like, we have to get Taylor Swift on board. And on top of that, Claire Wannabe, uh Wanted who's also a senior executive who was also busted recently and was Russian, and had to, you know, um testify against Bank from She apparently is also a huge Swifty. So there was lots of people inside on this deal. And it was so mismatched that the marketing team within FTX said that they were all opposed to this deal. And someone gave a quote to the Financial Times, which I might. We might have to. We might have to bleep this because there's curses in it. I don't know. We're trying to maintain our family friendly rating. Oh, but I think
1: we. I think you should bleep yourself before you get okay. <laughs> into it. I don't think we.
0: This person from the marketing team said no one really liked the deal. It was too expensive from the beginning. Um, adding the price was very high. Really high, that's front of the soccer jersey level prices. So everyone within FTX is like, why are we giving Taylor Swift $100 million? And FTX U.S. President Brett Harrison, who has more than a decade of experience at financial companies such as Jane Street and Citadel, questioned whether the singer, the second most streamed artist on Spotify, would reach the target demographic of the would-be cryptocurrency traders. One former employee said, "Um, it felt like Swift could not add value to our user base. So everyone inside the company is going, we should not be doing this. What's going on? But they <laughs> they pursued they pursued her. Um, now we all know that this is all coming to light because there's a big lawsuit. So Adam Moskowitz with his uh big law firm, which is called the Moskowitz Firm, he is suing and seeking over five billion in damages from all of these big name celebrities who endorse FTX because he's like, it is your responsibility to do due diligence when you promote something like this. Uh, and he has all this evidence showing that these celebrities basically just signed deals they didn't do anything. But when they did the discovery process to do research, one of the kind of glorious findings that he had, where he was able to prove, hey, look, like some celebrities did do due diligence, was they found a record of Taylor Swift speaking to FTX, where she apparently showed up at a meeting and said, and it's recorded, can you tell me that these are not unregistered securities? And FTX couldn't say that because they there was a bunch of unregistered securities. They had all these weird accounts where they would, you know, give you interest on crypto holdings, all these things, like a bunch of stuff that like the U.S. government is not tracking at all. And so she came in and, and asked this question. And FTX said, uh, we can't answer that. And she said, well, I then no." And she walked away from a hundred million dollar deal to sponsor her
1: it's tour. Not bad, is it? Yeah. is also looking for a job at the SEC anytime soon. Her yep. and Gary Gensler will get on well.
0: She, she'd be going in there reputation, album playing, getting yeah. getting she's, she's up, already a 10Ks. big
1: hit with the DOJ. She's got them going yep. after Ticketmaster now after she they does. messed up her uh her recent tour.
0: Yeah. All her they screwed up her pre sale. It's like now her tickets are selling for like three thousand dollars. It re like Taylor Swift has so much power with the Swifties. She probably could overthrow a small country. <laughs> She's so decided.
1: Well, the Ticketmaster had a, what, a mono- basically a complete monopoly for 20 complete. years until yeah. they pissed off the Swifties.
0: Yeah. I would not <laughs> be shocked to see Taylor, because it's 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 reported that she, with the completion of this tour, she will become a billionaire. Like, she, she'll be one of the richest singers of all time. Um, I would not be surprised if Taylor has some business executive somewhere cooking up, figuring out, could she create her own ticketing software? I'd say someone's maybe Taylor herself is on the computer. She's coding, she's getting ready, she's building the website, she's figuring it out, <laughs> she's buying the servers. She's
1: contacts in the SEC and the DOJ. Yeah, I'm gonna make this like, fully legal.
0: Don't worry, guys, I'll figure this out. She got the HTML going, the CSS, she's building the thing. <laughs> I wouldn't be surprised. Like,
1: yeah, I wouldn't put a pastor at this stage. No, uh, no, it's not bad though. Okay, Uh, we don't have any elevator pitches this week, so we're going to leave it there, folks. Um, Emery, thanks very much for joining me and thank you, everyone, for listening. Remember, if you have any questions you'd like answered, or elevator pitches which we promise are coming back next week you'd like us to tag up make sure to get in touch you can find us on twitter at my wall street hq on tiktok at my wall street or simply just email us a pod at mywallstreet.com if you're enjoying the show make sure to tell your friends about us and leave us a review on whatever podcast platform you listen to us on thanks for joining and we will talk to you next week yeah.